Uh, hi everyone, it's good to see all of you here today. We're going to go through a, a passage of scripture, uh, but before that, let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for each and every one of us here this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word that you have implanted in my heart. And Lord, even as I share with all these, my brothers and sisters here, that Lord, you would just touch them and Lord, that your, your word would go into fertile ground right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today I'm going to bring us a message entitled, Nothing to Hide. Um, for those of you who know the rally that was held, um, it, it's or the forum. Uh, the forum, Nothing to Hide, this is nothing like it. But this Nothing to Hide is taken directly uh, from the Bible. And we're going to look through a, a whole bunch of uh, verses taken from uh, Matthew chapter 1 all the way, 1 all the way till 17. Uh, it's, it's quite a number of verses, but we're going to read it together and let's read it strong, all right? On the count of three. One, two, three. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right, that has been a whole mouthful, that's a tongue twister. I don't mean to bring you into the, the book of Numbers for no reason, all right? Uh, the, the reason that I showed you the genealogy of Jesus is because at Jesus' time, uh, the genealogy of a person is akin to this, all right? Uh, you know how we, when we apply for jobs, we have a resume or a CV when we apply for it to show all your qualifications, what you have done, what you've achieved. And in the same way, a genealogy shows a similar thing. It shows a person's inheritance, it shows a person's legitimacy, it shows a person's rights, all right? And you know sometimes in a, in a, in a situation, 
where someone comes up and, and tries to take on or take charge of that situation. Uh, and if that person may not be too familiar to you, you would ask uh, you know, someone around you, hey, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And for today, some of you may be asking, who's this guy? Right? Uh, and, and I need to show you my resume and my CV. But today, we're going to go through the CV of Jesus and we're going to not just go through what he's qualified, but we're going to go through um, his genealogy, the generations before uh, Jesus, all right? And, and today, um, we're going to, I'm going to point you directly to who he is. You know, there was a verse in the Bible, um, and it all points to the theology part, the deity of God. And, and this is what it, uh, it sounds like. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? But what about you, Peter? He said, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So there we have it, plain and simple, end of story, Jesus is the Messiah. But that is a purely theological way of looking at who Jesus is, who Jesus was. But the thing is, today we're going to go through the genealogy of Jesus. We're going to go through step by step, generation by generation. And because of time, I've chosen three people uh, from Jesus' genealogy that I'd like to share about and I'd like to, to expand on today. All right, firstly, let's look at a woman named Rahab. And this is uh, what we have about Rahab. They went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is a, a pretty long passage, so let me just summarize the passage for you, all right? So what happens is there were two spies, and they were the spies of the Israelites uh, sent by, by Joshua to go into the land, to spy the land, to just check out what was happening. Um, and those spies ended up in Rahab's house, all right? And the, kings, the king of Jericho's officials knew who these people were. They, they knew that they were coming. So he sent his men to Rahab's house and asked, him, asked them to look for, for them. And this is what Rahab did. Rahab hid them inside her roof. All right, so she hid her spies and she said this. She said, I don't know where they came from and I don't know where they went, but you better go and chase after them, otherwise they, they would have gone, right? So Rahab didn't say anything about knowing where, where, where they were, but she just said, go ahead and, and uh, chase, chase after them and you will catch them. And this is what uh, Rahab did. And it was at that time, after she had hit the spies, uh, she went up to the spies and said, okay, now the king's men are gone. Alright, so I want to tell you what I know about you. I know that you have a powerful God. I know your God has led you out of the land of Egypt. If you remember the, how he led uh, them through the Red Sea, on dry land, that was what Rahab had heard. I've heard how awesome and powerful your God is because he has conquered many kings, many kingdoms. That's what Rahab knew about them. And knowing this, everyone was fearful because they knew how powerful the God of the Israelites were. And that was what Rahab talked, uh, told the spies. So Rahab, she's pretty smart. She said, you know, I've shown you kindness. I've actually saved your life. So she made a deal with them. She said, these two spies, uh, they're not named, right? So they asked, she asked the two spies, 
let's make a deal. I have shown kindness to you. I've saved your life. Now here's what I want you to do. I know you and the Israelites and the, the Lord's army is going to destroy the whole, the whole land of, of Jericho. So here's the deal. If you can only save me and my family, even as I have saved you, could you do that? And the spies came back to her and said, sure, we will do that, but under two conditions. And the first one was, you need to bring all your family members, everyone that is, that is called uh, part of your family, your relatives, into your house at the same time. And the second thing is this, as we exit, and they exited by a, a window, by the way, so as they exited, they said, you need to tie a scarlet uh, cloth, a scarlet yarn on this window uh, pane, on, on the window. And uh, scarlet is the color of red. And the significance of this scarlet yarn um, is, is, is very simple. You know, these days, and I, I'm sure most of you uh, have WhatsApp, you know, you can tell your friends, hey, I'm here, and you drop your location, send, you drop your pin, send them your location. It's very simple. It's very easy. But at that time, WhatsApp didn't exist. Google Maps was nowhere to be found. Google was not even there. All right, so what Rahab had to do was identify for the spies and, and then the Israelite army that she stayed there and that she and her, her family will be saved. And in the end, you know what? She and her family were saved. And I must say, Rahab is such a wise woman because she knew that if she was going to be punished, if she knew if she was going to perish for what she has done uh, to, to take in the two, two, two spies and to hide them, she would want to go down as the person who assisted the Lord's army. And that's the story of Rahab, all right? Now we're going to go through some of the things that I'd like to highlight about Rahab, some of her characteristics, all right? So the first thing is Rahab was a prostitute. And I don't know about you, but this story about Rahab came in the genealogy of Jesus, right? How many of you would like to, to have that fact that there was a prostitute as your ancestor? You know, most of us would want like, okay, I, I have a Tan Sri who is my grandfather, uh, Dato Sri who is an uncle, another Dato, he's my cousin, uh, maybe some big time tycoon, you know, is part of my ancestry. I would tell the world that. But in this passage of scripture, we can see clearly that God has specifically put Rahab, Rahab, a prostitute in Jesus' genealogy. And along with her being a prostitute, can you imagine the stigma that she would have faced from society? And people would be talking about her. People would generally know, okay, Rahab, okay, yeah, she's a prostitute. But when the two spies came to her, came to her house, they would have looked at her and said, okay, there goes Rahab bringing two more clients to her place, right? So that would be the general talk of the town. But what if they had known that these two people are not just clients or anything like that, they were two spies of Israel. They were the enemy spies. Can you imagine the tabloid, the headlines? It would go, Rahab the prostitute brings in two enemy spies of the Israelites. Wow, what kind of stigma, what kind of things would go through uh, their mind. And, and the fact that she was the one who hid those two spies. The next thing, and I'd like to highlight this, 
Rahab was a Gentile. She was not a Jew. And why is this important? Well, she was going to be part of the genealogy of someone we know as the king of the Jews. You know, just last week, it was so recent, like uh, last week we had the ISERT rally, and we want to praise God that everything went by peacefully. But here we have, right here in the Bible, in this passage, God is no racist. He has intentionally put someone who is a Gentile, a non-Jew, very intentionally as part of not just a story, but actually his lineage and actually his genealogy. So Jesus is no, uh, 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 he's no racist, all right? And, last, and next, Rahab was a liar. She lied about the spies' whereabouts. Remember, as I shared earlier, she said, I don't know where they came from and I don't know where they left, but you better go and chase after them. So essentially, she lied about where the spies were. So here we have Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the Gentile, and now also Rahab the lie, the liar. And she uh, is, is, was very smart to know that she is under the genealogy of Christ. Rahab was hiding something. What was she hiding? Yes, she hid the spies. You know, she hid the two spies. But more than that, she hid the stigma of society. There was a lot of backbiting. There was a lot of gossip going around behind her back. And Rahab had to hide that stigma that was going on behind her, knowing very well um, she was a prostitute. This reminds me of a movie um, I, 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 I've seen maybe a, a while back. Um, how many of you have seen this movie, Pretty Woman? So it's the story of Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And Julia Roberts plays the character of a prostitute in, in this movie. And uh, Richard Gere actually calls her in uh, to, to him. And at the end of the day, they fall in love with each other. And, and uh, well, they, they live happily ever after. Yeah, that's the end of the story. But, you know, in the story of Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, she doesn't fall in love with the two spies. She falls in love with the God of the two spies. Yeah? And she knew that the person that she, that she had fallen in love with was, was God, was even more powerful. And she, is, she was one who uh, defended the spies and hid the spies. So, what can we learn from Rahab? Don't let the stigma that people have on your life to dictate what you do or even what you don't do for Christ. Because Rahab, in the same way, uh, she hid the spies and she's now in the genealogy of Christ. She was, she, was, she was hiding the stigma, but she didn't let it bother her. Let's look at what Rahab is remembered by in the Bible. And let me read this passage out to you. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab goes into the hall of faith together with all the giants of faith, some people like Abraham in, in Hebrews 11, just because she was obedient to God, just because she loved the Lord of the Israelites, the Lord of the God of the Israelites. And today, she is called a woman of faith. Look at that. So we've gone through Rahab, all right? So there's, there's a couple of points there. Um, 
the next person I'd like to bring up is David. And not just David, but King David. And, and here we have a pretty uh, interesting picture of him. Um, let's look at the story of David. David was, firstly, he was king. He was anointed as king. And let me just share this story with all of us. Um, so there was the prophet Samuel who came to Jesse. Jesse was David's father's house. And uh, Jesse knew that one of his sons would be anointed as king, right? So all of us know this fact. Uh, and, and imagine that you were in Jesse's shoes. And imagine that you knew that one of your sons would be called the king of Israel. What would you do? Won't you bring all your sons? Wouldn't you just bring all your daughters together to just make sure you got all bases covered, right? Because you knew one of them is going to be anointed as king. But this is what Jesse did. He, he asked uh, uh, Prophet Samuel to come to, to over to his place, uh, and then he let his sons pass by the Prophet Samuel one by one. So the first son passed by. Samuel said, no, this is not him. The second son, you know, uh, Samuel looked at him. Wow, this guy is quite good looking. You know, wow, he's tall. Wow, tall, dark, and handsome. Wow, awesome. But no, this is not the guy. The third brother came by. Is this the one? Nope. The fourth one. The fifth, sixth, and seventh brother. And David is the eighth brother, and he's, he's the, one of the siblings, right? He's one of the children of Jesse. But uh, you know what Prophet Samuel had to ask Jesse? He had to ask him, Jesse, none of these, your sons, are, uh, are the one to be anointed. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse suddenly remembered he had another son. He's like, oh yeah, I've got an eighth son. He's out there. He's a shepherd boy. Let me just go and call him. So uh, Jesse called, uh, asked uh, David to be called in, and then he was anointed as king. I don't think David was there to, to hear this story, but imagine how he must have felt. Oh my goodness, my dad has forgotten that I'm one of his sons. He must have thought that I'm out doing, uh, taking care of sheep, and, and he was forgotten. So he was anointed as king, and immediately after he was anointed as king, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the awesome story of David so far. But just fast forward a few years later, and what happens? So David was at a time uh, of, of war, and, and uh, in those days, war was very different from, from how we have war now, where the generals can just stand at the back, uh, strategize and plan for the whole uh, war to happen. But at those days, the king would go to for war together with their army, all, together with all their warriors and their mighty men. So what happened was David was lazing around. Uh, he must have woken up late. And then he didn't go into war. But what did he do? He actually saw a woman bathing from afar. And the bathing woman is called Bathsheba. Right? What an interesting name. And he, he lusted over her. He... He ended up sleeping with her and then he uh, had, I mean, she bore her his child and he is known as an adulterer, right? Knowing this, David said, okay, oh no, I'm wrong. I need to go and cover my tracks. I need to cover up what just happened. So he tried to make uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, sleep with him to just cover up the tracks, but he, he refused. 
he, was said, he said, I'm faithful to the battle, I'm faithful to war, I want to go into battle. So in the end, David decided, this is not working. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, right in front of the battle, and I'm going to ask all the other warriors to retreat. Right? And what do you think would have happened to Uriah? He died. He died instantly in battle. And to me, this is cold-blooded, premeditated murder of the first degree. And that's what uh, David was. He was an adulterer, but he was also a murderer, all right? And that's what he, he did. King David was also trying to hide something. What was he trying to hide? He tried to hide his sin, right? King David was hiding his sin. And obviously, as I, as I shared the story with you, he did it completely wrongly because he, he tried to hide one sin of adultery with another sin by murder. And in the end, he's got two sins to deal with, right? This reminds me of an of a interesting story, and it's a very uh, famous scandal that came up in recent times. It is the, the scandal of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. All right, how many of you remember that? Yeah, okay, now there are more hands. I guess this is really a famous, uh, a famous scandal. All right, so the background is Bill Clinton is the 42nd president of the United States of America, and um, he was caught uh, having an affair with uh, his secretary, Monica Lewinsky. And when, when the authorities came up to him and asked him, what do you do, what just happened? He had only this to say, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Right? He was a liar, and essentially he was an adulterer as well. Um, and you know what? Uh, he was the first, sorry, the second president ever in the U.S. history to be impeached from his position as the U.S. president. And now, well, all of you have heard about him, and we have, that's how he went down in history. Now, let's forget about Bill Clinton, but let's go back to David. How was David remembered? The difference between Bill Clinton and David is this. When he was found out, when the prophet Nathan came up to him and confronted him, he didn't say, no, I didn't do that. You know, it wasn't me. He immediately confessed of his sins. He immediately repented. And at that point of time, he turned 180 degrees and decided to, to turn a new leaf. And because of that, this is what the Bible records David as. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David is known as a man after God's own heart. So what can we learn from David? Right? David, he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he tried to cover it up. Well, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you've been through, it doesn't matter the sin that you've done, as long as you choose to repent. Ask God for forgiveness and turn 180 degrees in the other direction and follow Jesus and you will be called a man or a woman after God's own heart. So there we have the story of David. Um, and I thought the next person is going to be somebody interesting. We are just about nine days, uh, over a week, right, before Christmas, and I thought it would be great if we could include Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, as part 
of this story in the genealogy. So Mary was known as, she was, she was the, father, the mother of Jesus, and when God sent the angel Gabriel to her, this is what it says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Well, Mary was a virgin, which means she was completely untainted, she was pure, Although she and Joseph were together, uh, there was no relations between them. She was a pure woman. That's a picture of purity right there. However, my next point proves a problem. She was a virgin, but she also carried Jesus. She carried Jesus, and that proved to be a problem. Because imagine what people would think. So Joseph and Mary, they are betrothed to be married together. And betrothal is like uh, being engaged, you know. Uh, before you, you get married, you get engaged. And the thing is, your wedding day has not yet passed. Your wedding day has not yet come. And Mary, who was supposed to be a virgin, um, is now pregnant, expecting Jesus. Imagine what people would have thought about that. And imagine what, a, what, what would Joseph had, a, had thought. Who would believe such a story that, oh, this baby that is within me is from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? There was no such technology such as artificial insemination uh, where you don't need the, the male, but, but you can, you can uh, conceive and, and have a, a child. But there was no such technology then. So immediately when people knew she was pregnant, there was a lot of shame, there was a lot of pressure uh, put upon her. And there is a TV series... Um, that I've heard about um, with a similar premise. It's called Jane the Virgin, all right? And, and in this story, she's actually art wrongly artificially inseminated and she has a baby and, and she decides to carry on with the baby, the, the pregnancy, all right? And that's what uh, Jane the Virgin was about. And similar to Mary, she did nothing wrong, all right? So that's, that we have um, Mary. So Mary was also hiding her shame. She was also uh, covering the shame. You know, Joseph was betrothed, as I mentioned earlier. Joseph, was, was, Joseph and Mary were betrothed. They were engaged. They, was, they were pledged to be married, uh, but they were not married yet. And in the Bible, in fact, we read it just now during the, the declaration, he, he actually thought of divorcing uh, Mary quietly just to prevent all the, the, the chatter, all the backbiting, all the gossip, that would happen, and there was shame in the part of Mary. But the Bible also calls Mary a vessel or even a servant of God because she was faithful to do what God had asked her to do, and that is bear the, the baby Jesus in her womb and, of course, raise him as, his, as her son. Mary was also hiding something. Mary hid her shame. Mary was hiding her shame. Can you imagine everything that happened to her? She didn't ask for it. She didn't ask to be pregnant. She didn't ask to be uh, the mother of Jesus. But everything happened that happened to her happened for a reason. And she hid her shame. She hid her shame. What can we learn from Mary? We can learn this. Whoever, uh, 
whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Mary acknowledged God's work in her life. Mary acknowledged whatever God was doing in her life. And because of that, she is part of the genealogy of Christ. Amen? Amen. I've given us three stories, all from the genealogy of Christ. Um, first about Rahab, then David, and now Mary. And today, just for all of you, I'd like to share some of my own stories, uh, my own personal journey that I've been through um, over the past couple of years, all right? Um, at the start of this message, I showed us three pictures, three pictures that were, were great. They were full of smiles. It was, they were joyous days. But let me tell you what was happening behind the scenes. Firstly, my wedding. Well, we had a good wedding. Uh, the wedding day was, was awesome. By the way, all the three pictures that were taken were all here, right? Either they were on this stage or they were in this sanctuary, believe it or not, right? So this is my wedding, and we've got a great wedding, and um, Shamin and I have been married for, for nine months now, and we've got a great marriage, praise the Lord. Um, you know, we are, I, I think we are pretty much the same as any other couple, uh, you know, uh, Fights, arguments, what's that? I'm a pastor, don't, don't say that. You know, no, we don't have fights. But what we do have are passionate discussions, right? Um, talk about being in denial. Yeah, so we do have uh, passionate discussions once in a while. But today I'm not going to focus on uh, marriage and, and how that has been, but I'd like to tell you the story behind uh, this picture. Amidst all these smiles and what was going on during that wedding, there was something bothering me at this point of time. And what was bothering me was in relation to my work. And some of you know that I've been a PA and, and I'm currently an administrator. Uh, and well, I'm now, I'm now a pastor. But at that point of time, I was really bogged down by administrative work. And, and I've, I've done all uh, the spiritual tests, spiritual gift tests that I could get my hands on. And all of them point to the same uh, place, that is, that my spiritual gift is one of a shepherd, right? One of a shepherd. And the role I was doing was very administrative. And in this spiritual gift test, administration is very, very far below, right? So doing this, it was, it was quite difficult for me. Um, and I actually struggled quite a lot. And I must say, some of you here, you have the gift of administration, that is great. I'm not saying anything wrong about administration. Uh, there needs to be someone to make sure that we've got enough money, enough finances to run projects, that everybody has been communicated to, uh, calendars have been booked, you know, rooms have been, have been uh, 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 booked already, uh, food has been ordered, people are fed. All these are administrative uh, tasks and it's very important. However, as I mentioned, my, my gift is more of that of a, of a, of a shepherd, of a, of a pastor actually. And I was struggling. And I was going through a time of searching, uh, seeking direction for God in, in my life. And at that point of time, obviously the wedding preparations were going on, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just uh, been nine months ago. And before that, we were busy planning the place, uh, getting the restaurant done. And I must say, at that point of time, I was just going through the motions. Uh, 
my wife would give me a checklist, well, then fiancé, right? Yep. She would give me a checklist and say, okay, have you done this, this, and this? Yeah, I'm like, okay, done, done, done. Okay, anything else? You know, there was just no passion. There was just no uh, motivation in what I'm doing. Um, and I was just going through the motions. And unbeknownst to me, I believe that what God was trying to show me and what God was trying to remind me was this. I'm a person that I want to do ministry. I wanted to ask God, let me charge up that next mountain. Let, give me that next mountain. I want to go and conquer the world. But God was reminding me and realigning me that the focus of my life should be one of man, that's me, next marriage, and only then ministry. Man, marriage, and ministry. And I, I believe God was trying to realign my life to, to figure that out first, to figure out uh, my marriage before I even consider going into ministry. All right, so that was me, that was my marriage. I showed us another picture um, earlier, the YPA graduation. And, and this is me receiving the scroll, right? Uh, again, all smiles. Uh, that's uh, Pastor, and he's now Dato Daniel Ho uh, right now, uh, receiving that scroll. And the program went well. You know, YPA, we were very blessed. As I mentioned, there were 30 of us uh, from over 10 churches. And I want to thank God for all that He's done in my life. Um, but at that point of time, I was extremely disappointed. And I'm, I'm not talking about the, how the, the program went. I'm not talking about how I even performed. I was basically the administrator for YPA. I'm not talking about all that. But I sense a deep disappointment within me because I felt like I let God down. And it actually came to a point where I said, God, you know what? Enough of this calling business. Um, I'm done. I, I just felt like throwing in the towel. And, and at that point of time, I really thought, maybe I should just give this all up. Maybe I should just forget about it. You know, God, you spoke to me, and I, I believe I heard from you. So either you spoke wrongly or I heard wrongly. And I know who is God. So I guess, and, and God doesn't make any mistakes. So I guess I know who is mistaken. And that was me. And at that point of time, I really thought of just giving everything up. I even thought maybe I should just go to another church. Maybe I should just, you know, forget about all this uh, calling, la, shepherding. La. It's not going to happen. I just thought of giving everything up. And then came a, a point of time in my life where I actually received one of the best advice in my, probably in the year, this year. And it came from none other than my dad, who's sitting right, right here. And he said this. He said, don't do anything, don't go anywhere, unless the Lord tells you to. And, because, and I heeded his advice, and I, and I said, okay, God didn't say anything, so there has to be a reason and a purpose that I'm here. And I, and I decided to grit my teeth, I stuck with it, and today I'm still here, and I'm still serving the Lord faithfully with all of us. Amen. Amen. So after the YPA graduation, actually exactly six months after the YPA graduation, came this, and it was when I was prayed for, anointed and appointed as a pastoral intern. And again after this, um, well, I'm, I'm not smiling because I'm, I'm focusing on, on God, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but behind this picture, behind what was happening, uh, was the fact that I'm not sure what people think. 
I'm not sure whether I qualify. I'm not sure whether I make the cut. Yes, I may be called a pastor and all that, but I'm not sure whether I'm good enough. And, you know, there, were, there was a lot of applause that day when it was announced, uh, together with, with uh, some of our friends, and some of you may know Aaron, who's just uh, next to me. Um, and there was a lot of applause. And the, the thought coming through my mind was, you know, Jesus walked into J- Jerusalem on a donkey, and there was the whole crowd that was cheering him on. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, you know. And this was the same crowd who a few weeks later said, crucify him, crucify him, right? And I'm thinking, wow, all this applause, could it be the same, you know, could it be the same? But, 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 but don't worry, I know you guys are not Jewish and I'm not Jesus, so no fear, right? No, no need, don't need to worry about that. But those were the real thoughts that I was, uh, I was, going, to, uh, I was going through my mind. I thought to myself, I really don't make the cut. And here's what God asked me. He asked me, who called you? Who anointed you? It was me. It was me. So whose standards are you trying to meet? Whose cut are you trying to fit in? Just follow me. Just follow me. And that's what I've been doing until this day. You know, Jesus said, follow me. And this, I believe, is not the end of my journey. You know, in movies, they say, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and they live happily ever after, the end, right? I believe this is not the end of my journey, but it's merely the beginning. And, and I've got this privilege of serving all of you here in the house of God. So let's just thank God for that. Why don't we give God a clap offering for that? Now, these were just some of my stories. I'm sure God has a story in each and every one of your lives. And each story that you have, you may not be able to to share it like, like how I just did, but I believe God is using you for His glory. God is using you for His purposes. God is using you, you for His story. And I'd like to encourage all of us here, don't be like Rahab. Don't be like David and don't be like Mary who hid different parts of their life knowing well that Jesus was working in their life. Do you know what? Jesus wants to use you. Jesus wants to use every part of your life be it sin, be it shame, be it stigma, Jesus wants to use it. Or it could be even despair or disappointment like me. You know, when I was in my teens, um, I heard this song. It's called Jesus Freak. Um, Don't freak out by the title. Uh, Being a Jesus freak, it simply means that you love Jesus so much, that you love Him and His purposes so much, that you're crazy about Him. You want to fulfill it in your life. All right, and Sorry, how many of you have heard this song, by the way, Jesus Freak? Wow, okay, there's, there's quite a handful. Let me share um, some of the lyrics here with you, all right? Uh, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus Freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus Freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. No, I ain't into hiding. You know, friends, being a Christian doesn't mean that life would be a bed of roses. And can I encourage all of you here, 
don't show the people around you that you are a Christian just because of the cross that you wear, but the cross that you bear. In the Bible, it says this, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Friends, let's not be known because of the cross that we wear, but the cross that we bear. And let's follow Christ daily. Let's pick up our cross and follow Christ daily. I recently was informed of uh, an article, and it's actually thanks to Pastor Fergus, and this article is written by an atheist, all right? Mind you, it's an atheist. And I'm going to read out a portion of this. Just check out what he says. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, basically he's saying, how could you believe something that is so awesome, so amazing, and yet not tell your friends, not tell your loved ones about it? Can I just encourage you, friends, Christmas is just in nine days. And over the weekend, we've got a whole bunch of services. We've got three services over next weekend and two services over Christmas. Can I encourage you, bring your unbelieving family members, bring them to church, or better yet, tell them about your story. Tell them about what God is doing in your life. It doesn't matter if it's a good story. It doesn't matter if it's a painful story. It doesn't matter if you feel the stigma by them, by telling them the story. All that matters is God is using that story. God is using your story for His glory. Amen. Amen. I'm almost coming to a close of this message. But I'd like us to respond and even as, as the, the worship team plays gently, I'd like us to respond to what God is doing in our life. And can I encourage you, all of us here, to just uh, close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. And I'd like to make a call for the first group. And you are a very important group. This group is the people that you may have heard Jesus before. Or maybe today is the first time that you've heard about Jesus. And through all the stories, you hear and you see all these people hiding their shame. You, they are hiding their stigma. They're hiding their sin. But at the end of the day, they chose to acknowledge what God was doing in their life. And in the same way, you may be sitting here. It could be your first time coming to, to service ever. And you heard about this Jesus. You know about Him. You know all the stories. You know everything there is to know. But today, something is tugging at your heart. You want to acknowledge Him, not just as a God, but as your Lord and Saviour. And with that, you are declaring that you want to know this Jesus better. You want to know 
this God. And can I just say, there is nothing to hide. There is nothing to prove. And you've got nothing to lose. There is another group of people here. And today, this afternoon, you want to make a declaration. You want to end the year not on a bad note, but on a good note. You want to put aside all the stigma, all the sin, and all the shame that you have faced. And friends are looking at you and saying, this guy is a Christian. And even as we, I showed you that song earlier, Jesus Freak. You want to be known as someone who carries God's presence wherever you go. You want to acknowledge His work in your life. You want to know that He is God and Master of your life. This evening, this afternoon, you are saying you've got nothing to hide. Nothing to hide, but everything to gain even as you declare Jesus. You want to make a declaration. You want to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You want to acknowledge everything that God is doing in your life. You are making a declaration to God to say that I want to acknowledge every part of what you are doing in my life. And if that is you, can I encourage you to just stand to your feet even right now. You may be going through a good time you may be going through a bad time. But let me just say, God is working in your life. And this afternoon, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing for each and every one of you. In the same way that God has been the God of Rahab, God has been the God of David, and God has been the God of Mary. God has even been the God of Joel. Let me just say, God is the God of you. He is the one who is writing your story. He knows the start of your story. He knows the end of your story and everything in between. Thank you. If you could just allow me to pray for you. Let's just pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for all these, my brothers and sisters here this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, for your work in their life. Lord, you know all their pains. Lord, you know all their struggles. Lord, you know all their joys. Lord, you know every smile and every tear that they have cried. And I just pray that, Lord, even right now, that as they are standing, Lord, they are standing making a statement, making a declaration to say that, Lord, You are the Lord of their life. Lord, they want to acknowledge every bit of work that You are doing in their life this afternoon. And I pray, even as they go from this place, I just pray that they would be aware of Your presence and Your purposes in their life and in everything that they do. We thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Church, let's take another moment of quietness. Even wherever you are seated, I just really want to affirm the word that Pastor Joel has just shared. Amen. All eyes closed.
all eyes closed, just for just another moment, just remain in this moment of quietness. And I just sense, as Pastor Joel was sharing the word just now, I just really want to give us this opportunity to respond to the Lord. And the title of today's sermon is that there is nothing to hide. And I know it's hard to reveal something that has been, that has been concealed for so long. I know it's hard to expose yourself, a shameful part, an embarrassing part, something that you don't want anyone to see. Now I want you to know this, nobody is asking for you to reveal that to them. Accept that you give access to the Lord Jesus into every part of your life and every part of your heart. And if you want to give God access to every part of your life, that is to say that in the past, there are some things about your life you did not let God in on. That you've kept that door, that room in your heart locked so that God could not go in. And you behaved on your own terms inside that room. But today, you want to let God in. That God will have full access to every part of your life so that when you stand before the Lord, you can hold your head up and say, Lord, I have nothing to hide. You know why, friends, you want to have nothing to hide before Him? Because you will have nothing to lose when you show Him all of your hand. When you show Him your whole hand, you've got nothing to lose. But when you let Him in, he will come into those most secret, most sinful, most embarrassing and shameful parts of your life. Or the parts where you are struggling and you, and, you are, and you are projecting strength to everybody else. But inside you, you are just crying out for help. And inside you know that you can't project strength for much longer and still you feel you have to. Can I encourage you? Today, the Lord wants you to make an appointment with Him so that you have nothing to hide. Even the, 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 what you think is the shame of not being able to be strong. Today, the Lord wants you to open every door of your heart. Let the King of glory in. Have nothing to hide. Give Him full access. Friends, even as we've uh, come to the end of the service let me just encourage you as we go out today acknowledge God's work in your life let me just close the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His shalom Father God we thank you for each and every one of us here Lord I pray that even as we go to our respective places over this week, that your presence would be with us wherever we go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a blessed week ahead.